Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus from Desert Island Dicks. This episode features comedian Maisie Adam via video link from Brighton. Basically, we spoke on Zoom, but I thought saying video link made it sound a bit more impressive. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review where you get your podcasts. And feel free to tell all your friends and neighbours by shouting it from your open window. And now, here's Desert Island Dicks with Maisie Adam. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest. And here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian, actor and writer Maisie Adam. Hello. Hello, how are you Dan? Not bad, not bad. How's things with you? Yeah, good. I feel like this is probably the best time to be doing the uh, the Desert Island Dicks podcast because you can... You can really imagine what it's like to be stuck with just one other person. Yeah. Whilst we're in lockdown, it's sort of, it's made it. Um, it's almost like a method acting way of imagining. This. <laughs> Normally, it's quite a hypothetical situation, but now it's like, who would be the worst person to trade your boyfriend uh, at the moment for to to be in lockdown with? It, yeah. Well, at the start of it, we did consider changing the podcast to be solely around kind of lockdown and isolation but exactly the same format but yeah we thought in the end we'd just keep it the same yeah yeah absolutely at the moment we're all we're all on our own with people that we have chosen to be on our own and it's testing it can be testing at times whereas to be on like with a with an absolute dick that's gonna be (laughs) i mean i'm i it's still a hypothetical situation but it's it's actually stressed me out thinking of who i'm gonna pick for this podcast yeah that's the thing so generally i find that there's sort of two camps there's the people who found it difficult to whittle down the amount the number of people they find a dick or there's people who find it just difficult to choose anyone which camp were you in do you think oh definitely the former like there is a plethora of dicks out there (laughs) especially at the moment it's just can't move for dicks (laughs) so it was it was it was it was the difficulty was trying to select just one Hmm. especially as i say now that i actually know what it feels like to be um, stuck with just one person and that one person at the moment that I'm with is, is somebody who I, who, I, who I love very dearly whereas to be with somebody who is just uh, intolerable is going to be mm. um, they've got to be a really really big dick okay so solid gold dicks is what we're expecting today platinum dicks <laughs> great so who's going to be your first choice for the island so my first choice is Eamon Holmes Eamon Holmes I just think, right, he's um he's he's been simmering for a while on my uh, sort of dick radar. Mm. Um and only in the like sort of recent like past few months have those sort of feelings and gut instincts been confirmed. Um I've always sort of not really been keen on the um the dynamic that he has when he's on the couch with Ruth presenting. I just think mm. he looks constantly like um you know when you go out with your mates and one of them's got a boyfriend who you all think is a dick and you're pretty sure that your mate is aware that you all think they're a dick and when that boyfriend comes out with a comment at the pub that is a bit off like a questionable opinion Mm. i don't know usually they say something like um i don't know why it's called feminism it should just be called equalism um as a male feminist (laughs) i think we should all be equal so it should be equalism they say something like that and you can see that your mate is absolutely mortified and terribly embarrassed of being with them 
That is the face permanently etched onto Ruth Langsford's face. She constantly looks like her mouth isn't moving. She's not saying anything, but her eyes are going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He comes out with this stuff all the time and I can't stop him. Please help me. It's like I, I just watch them going, Ruth, blink twice for help. Blink twice for help. She just looks so fed up with him because she seems quite normal. She seems quite quite with it and, and together and doesn't have too many opinions that are offensive to whole swathes yeah. of people or questionable conspiracy theories. But Eamon Holmes, oh, God, he's just awful. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he's got sort of a partridge style of presenting in that he'll come yeah. out with something that's a little bit... Did you see his reaction when Philip Schofield came out? Um, when, when Philip Schofield came out as gay... And um, he came out to Holly, who obviously he's worked with for ages, and she gave him a big hug. And then Ruth and Eamon came over, and Ruth gave him a big hug. And then Eamon sort of just was like, oh, I think he said something like, I always wondered how you managed to be in a hot tub with Holly and not do anything. I mean, if that was me, Ruth would be, you know, digging my eyes out. And you're like, what What a response. <laughs> a, a national treasure bloke who's known as sort of being a family man has done a really brave thing and come out, he said he's gay, and you've whittled it down to whether or not he could contain himself when in a hot tub with Holly Willoughby. Like, oh, that's amazing. Ju- oh, just awful. <laughs> and, but at least that stuff, you can go, oh, it's cringy dad. It's cringy dad. It's mm. a bit partridge. And then um, I saw on Twitter... Um, he, I think he has a radio show somewhere mm. on one of those, a bit like LBC, something like yeah. that. It might, it might be a different one. But he he had this very questionable opinion about Meghan Markle. Mm. Um, and I, I do think it's only a particular type of person who has those opinions about Meghan Markle. Yeah. Someone that literally has no effect on our lives whatsoever, yet <laughs> these people choose to take a, a, an obscene grudge against her. Um and he was saying, there's just something about her I don't like. She's full of it. I've met these types of people in my career. They're fame hungry. They're money hungry. They've got no morals. I've come across them. They're ten a dozen. Uh, I, I, I I can't stand them. And then um, this woman who he, who he co-hosts with, I think, went, well, I've never met her, so I don't actually know. And he went, oh, no, I've never met her, but there's something about her I just don't like. And at that point, I feel oh. like I and everybody else who was watching it were like, I think we all know what that thing is that you don't like about her. <laughs> yeah. I think we all I think we can all take a, a guess, a stab mm. in the dark, what that what that element about Meghan Markle might be. I've seen her looking nice, smiling at people kindly when they hand her flowers. You can see it all, can't you, just from that. What a cow. <laughs> looking elegant in a nice outfit, oh. smiling at a child who gave her a picture. What a bitch. Honestly, honestly, a, a video's recently gone round of Meghan Markle reading her son a, a, a kid's book. And the comments in that are all just like, can you believe this woman? Can you believe it? What a cow. I'm like, oh, yeah. I remember that being my first thought when my mum was reading me a book. What a bitch. <laughs> What's she trying to get out of me now? I just feel so extorted by the way she read Going on a Bear Hunt. Um, <laughs> I ju- yeah, he's just, um, he's everything, I think, wrong in those types of men that mm. are just everywhere, apparently. They're... they're He's the blokes in the Facebook comments. He's the blokes who, who tweet you when you've done absolutely nothing to, to, to annoy them. Um, he's the bloke who, who I, I just suspect he... I get big energy that, like, he maybe orders on behalf of Ruth at a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just... Uh, I, the, 
I just don't know what it is about him. There's just something I've not liked. About <laughs> I've met ten a dozen people like him in my career, and there's something about him I don't like. But he would really great on me. I think he'd be. I do. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets picked for something like I'm a celebrity, because mm. they know that he he's one of those people who, if he has an opinion, he will say it, regardless of whether or not that is a thought out, considered, yeah. measured opinion that maybe might offend people. He'll just say mm. it. Because that's his right. Well, I can imagine, yeah, someone on someone getting really offended by something offensive that he says, and they storm off, and he's like, God, I don't even say anything. I don't wonder what their problem is. God. People are so offended. People are so, so offended. And then the moment somebody criticises him, he has mm. a massive hiss fit about it. Yeah. It's funny, because you mentioned this thing called Partridge about him, and in one of the Alan Partridge books, or maybe both of them, they sort of mention him quite a lot as sort of one of Alan's mates, and it is just spot on, isn't it? Of course he'd be friends with someone like that. And it he's one of those people I always forget about, and then I'm like, oh, you're still, you're still actually doing all right for yourself. Like, you're doing quite big jobs, and, and surely there are more people that... Exactly. He's doing so much stuff, and you think, well... You know, when you think of the contemporaries in his field of, you know, presenting, there's there's Philip Schofield, who's a who's a, a funny, witty sort of um, national treasure. He bounces well with Holly, who he's not mm. married to. I mean, I have to say, the energy between him and Ruth isn't exactly fire. <laughs> it's not. It's not quick banter. It is just the energy of like a husband and wife who are constantly sort of embarrassed one's embarrassed mm. of the other is the other they remind me of that couple you know in gavin and stacy the ones that are always bickering pete and dawn yeah. <laughs> remind me of them um and you look at other contemporary like rylan who's funny he's different he offers a different like angle on everything he's genuinely kind um he can see things from other perspectives he offers a new fresh look at it like i just don't think Eamon Holmes is the voice representing most of most of us anymore. I just think yeah. um, why why him? Why not just give it to some up and coming presenter who doesn't yeah. sit there embarrassing his wife throughout the whole thing? <laughs> um, it's a it's a bit of a tired trope as well having a husband mm. and wife present where the wife can only get a word in edgeways. I I feel like when I watch them, I go back into the nineteen fifties. Yeah, and it seems like I mean. None of these shows that he's doing are going to be... I mean, they're all big enough that he's getting paid quite well for these things. So they could just save so much money by not having Eamon Holmes and just getting anyone else who's a bit younger and cheaper as well into the bargain. I wonder if it's just that thing of purposely putting someone on. It's like a sort of soft Piers Morgan where, you know, you get someone on who's obviously going to put his foot in his mouth quite a lot and then you can get publicity by going... Guess you know, listeners are outraged at what this guy said today, and maybe it's just that does your advertising for you or something. And that's frustrating if that is the case that they get him on there for that sort of uh, spicy, spicy opinion. Mm. Um, I mean, I know that another one who's been coming under fire for being so partridge in his questions is Richard Maidley, who again is yeah. part of a husband and wife thing. But I at least feel like them two are on a level playing field. And they kind of mm. come at things from the same angle. And that Richard Madeley is probably sometimes a bit partridge in his questions, but isn't isn't frustratingly bigoted in them. Yeah. Um, and at no point do you look at Judy uh, and she's sort of staring blankly down the camera. Do you remember that viral video of, of Ben Affleck staring down and it, and it started playing Hello Darkness, My Old Friend as he stared into <laughs> space? 
That is what Ruth Langsford looks like every time she's sat next to Eamon Holmes. She's, I think she goes to a different place in her head when he speaks. I think she goes back to a summer romance she had when she was 20 years old with a man who actually let her speak and actually had uh, the time of day to give her and, and didn't come out with questionable opinions that you know you're going to have to defend because you're his wife later on. Mm. Yeah, he's. I just think he's going to be difficult on the island. He's going to sort of, he's going to very much say, "Okay, well the fish has been caught. Come on, ladies, you you get to cooking." This is the thing. If he went on, I'm a celeb. He would a hundred percent be the person being like, "So, so shall the ladies maybe cook the cook the dinner? Um, you guys go and clean the toilet and get the get the water. I'll stay here in the hammock and make sure nobody." Nobody. Do. I'll just delegate the rules. That's what I'll do. I'll make sure yeah. that everyone's doing their job. And you're like, oh, thanks so much, Eamon. You're so helpful. <laughs> and then he'll complain about about the food. He'll be like, it's quite tough. It's it's not very tender. Um, it could do with more seasoning. I can imagine him having quite specific opinions about the quality of the food, but also having quite a bad palate. So sort of being very specific about what he liked and not liked, but also kind of being very fussy. He'd only actually, unless it's red meat doused in mm. salt... He's not interested. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? Until we started speaking, I didn't realise how annoying I found him. Because, And I think that's maybe part of his thing. You just sort of forget about him and he seems quite neutral, but then he can come out with these these barbs and maybe that's what makes him so dangerous. You kind of don't really realise until you start listening to him. You can see him as quite a cuddly, playful figure. I think he uses that whole, like, oh, I'm just... Uh, everybody's silly dad that comes out with a little opinion, but I'm quite a huggable teddy bear, and I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely harmless. And you're like, no, you're not. You're, you're really bigoted, and you shouldn't have the level of the platform that you have. Fair and enough. you should well, let your wife have an opinion from time to time and stop talking over her. <laughs> well, you made a very good case for Eamon Holmes there, so he's going on the island with you. Um, who would be your second choice? Uh, again, I feel like this one is quite um, uh, current. Um, and it's probably, I, he wasn't, I'll be honest, really on my radar before this whole lockdown mm-hmm. uh, kicked into place. Certainly not on my radar on the level that he is at the moment. Um, and it's na- now, I I, uh, I really start to tear my hair out when he comes on the telly. Because I know that A, it's never good news. And B, when someone's got to deliver bad news, you want somebody who can at least be trusted with that job. And mm. at least deliver it in a way that goes, okay, that doesn't sound great. At least there's a plan. Um, yeah. or, or, or at least you sound confident about it uh, and that it's you're going to acknowledge that it's bad, but then you're going to uh, see it, how you can address it. And yeah. Matt Hancock is probably <laughs> the worst person at that like ever, that we've <laughs> ever, ever had. Um, he's just like laughably... I mean, not laughably, because it's the, the, the situation is so serious. Mm. But to the point where you go, this this is almost like a parody. This is like a joke uh, yeah. briefing of how badly you're doing it. Yeah, it feels like the, for a while now, it, I keep thinking, it, this shower of people, this can't get worse than this. And then the next bunch move in. And it's almost like a kind of a wall got broken down and then a clown car comes in with another bunch of clowns. And then when you think that's bad enough another barrier is knocked down and another fresh group of even sillier clowns comes in it's just it's just mad um he he sort of first came on my radar in the run-up to the election when he was out campaigning and this video again it, it sort of did the rounds on twitter 
of um, a female conservative um, uh, can like canvasser was 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 talking about how she was going to go out and 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 persuade people to vote, and she was doing it on behalf of Matt Hancock, and he was literally standing so close and over her it was like a parrot on her shoulder mm. and it was so uncomfortable to watch um it was the only ever time that it's acceptable to tower over and be right behind someone as they're speaking like that is when they're about three years old and you're their parent and you're going <laughs> what do you say to grandma say thank you for your present <laughs> that kind of thing like it's yeah. not appropriate when you're grown adults and one of them is working for you. It looked mm. like she was holding; he was holding a gun to her. But you, do you know? What I, mean? I was I was concerned yeah. for her welfare. I was like, is he? Is she saying these things out of choice, or is there a gun in her lower back there? Yeah, very threatening. He sort of has the uh, the vibe of of someone who kind of runs like a branch of sort of mid-level um, supermarkets, but not like one of the big four, not like a Sainsbury's that you get. You know, sometimes you go on holiday, you might be up north, and there's like a chain of supermarkets you've never heard of before. Like a netto. Yeah, and they're just sort of quite big across a certain... Like, he'd manage, maybe be a regional manager of one of those sort of supermarkets. He would be, like, in the tie every day. He'd have a big desk of, like, employee of the month thing mm. behind him. Like, he lives for that job and runs it as if he is the health secretary. But the reason it's he's a regional manager, manager is because that's the limit of his abilities. Um, somehow it has become the other way, and Matt Hancock is actually uh, in that position, yet only has the competence of somebody who could run a regional supermarket. Yeah. Not the, the, the health and welfare of the entire country. It's just... it, it He's just very... Uh, very uneasy, very unsympathetic as well. It's so inhuman. Mm. Um, the way he, he answers questions is... I mean, I know it's it's sort of an old trope of, of all politicians, really, in that they answer questions by saying nothing. Mm. But he really has perfected that art of being able to speak for five minutes and not say anything. Yeah. Um, and often, if there's a complaint, it's a, I'm sorry you feel that way which is just, like, the most infuriating response because, yeah. like, that's not how you deal with it. You deal with it by accepting that that's how somebody feels and saying what you're going to do to change it. And it's just it's just infuriating watching him. Mm. I kind of think for these people, like, having social distancing must be such a relief for them where journalists can only come at them on a screen one by one and have it, you know, a vetted question. It must just be an absolute dream for people like him. He would be absolutely buggered if they were still allowing the press in en masse to those rooms, mm. to those conferences. He'd be absolutely buggered. And again, I think just someone on the island, along with Eamon, who's going to talk a lot and do very little or, or sort of take credit for things that have happened or, you know, skew a result or something. Do you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Um, I'm always meaning to get round to it, but I haven't. So that there, there's two police officers in that precinct mm. who are just always there but are hopeless like you couldn't ask them to to, to post a, if you asked them to post a letter together they would manage to to balls it up um yeah. scully and hitchcock and they are just awful that would be eamon holmes and matt hancock on this island they would somehow bugger up everything yet complain about everything that everybody else has done mm. um 
they'd be useless. The only thing that they would contribute are questionable opinions and infuriating responses. Yeah, no, that's going to be very antagonising, definitely. And I think as well, he'd probably sort of regale you with lots of stories of his successes that you knew to be false, but he would sort of say, this reminds me like the time we handled the COVID-19 catastrophe so well. And you'd be like, you didn't, what? Uh, what? And then they'd just sort of ignore you and carry on telling you how great they Saying were. Saying it was all started by Meghan Markle. <laughs> oh, man, that's another thing, actually, jumping back to Eamon Holmes. Yeah, the conspiracy theories as well. You have to deal with all of that as well. Oh, and... He defo would have some interesting opinions about 9-11 and coronavirus, mm. probably a bit of a flat earther. Um, mm. Yeah, like the gall of somebody uh, to go on this morning and criticise the mainstream media. It's like, oh, yeah, you tell them, Eamon, <laughs> live from the This Morning studio. You're so against the system. Yeah, this is a guerrilla news hound. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've made a very good case for both of those. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to finding out what, who your final dick will be. Um, OK, so my final dick, I thought, from what I've seen in these... as a, Again, I tried to imagine the most similar scenario to being stranded on a desert island and that mm -hmm. is aside from lockdown what i've seen in shows that try to replicate that like i'm a celebrity and like big brother where you're cooped yeah. up together and somebody who has featured on both of these programs and both of the times has been ex exceptional entertainment value but horrific to be cooped up with uh, it was a toss-up between Gemma collins and this person but i actually mm. think Gemma collins i could maybe get some level on board with and, and, and at least enjoy some of the company of her. However, this person I just think would do my nutting. And it's Kim Woodburn off of uh, How Clean Is Your House fame. Oh, yes, um, yes. So she used to do that programme, How Clean Is Your House, Kim and Aggie. No one knows what happened to Aggie, uh, but the more I have seen of Kim and her personality, I'm pretty sure Aggie is dead. Yeah. Uh, disappeared under suspicious circumstances. Last person to see them alive, Kim Woodburn. I'm just putting it out there. Well, she'd probably have enough very strong cleaning uh, things around the house to dissolve her in a bath. Yes, yeah, Breaking Bad style. Yeah, and mm. she was the smaller one, so easily disposable of. Mm. Um, but before I get into uh, dig myself a legal hole there and <laughs> end up being sued by Kim Woodburn for uh, attempted murder claims, but I I just think she um she's incredibly entertaining on these shows because mm. she will pick a fight with anybody. Whereas say somebody like Eamon Holmes in that situation will have probably said something controversial and someone who's quite mm. reasonable would have gone, actually Eamon, I don't think that's fair for you to say that and call them out on it. Kim Woodburn, <laughs> I think you could go, um, I'm just gonna go to the loo. And she'd go, oh, oh, I bet you are. I bet you are, lovey. And suddenly there'd be this whole debate on how she thinks you go to the loo more than anybody else and therefore using all the toilet paper and therefore it's your fault that there's no toilet paper and therefore maybe you were the cause of coronavirus because that's what load, a load of people to run out of toilet paper. And it would just <laughs> snowball. She has this immense ability to pick up on the mo most minute thing someone has said and it blow up. And it doesn't just blow up into like a little level-headed debate of, well, I hear what you're saying, but here's my opinion. It mm. is always a plate-smashing, glass-throwing, 
hurling of abuse, shouting from the other end of the 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 the, the camp or the, the 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 Big Brother house, <laughs> hurling of abuse at each other, um, and I've seen it be on people who are equally as aggressive, and it becomes just like a like two monkeys in a zoo throwing food at each mm. other, and I've seen it be on somebody who's quite passive, and they just stand there in shock, like they're watching some sort of firework display from a safe distance. <laughs> yeah she's she's such an extraordinary figure i mean she always sort of looks like i always feel like she's invented she's almost like a soap character sort of bet lynch leopard print head to toe bleach blonde hair and some very very sassy opinions brilliant entertainment but a nightmare to be around she sort of looks like she'd go oh you know meet my sister miss trunchbull or something you know it's that sort of like it's it's like she's a cartoon come to life, yeah. isn't she? So she could be a Roald Dahl character, easily. Yeah, easily. yeah. Like she adopts you and then, you know, it's a terrifying place to live because she's mental and everything is so clean and nothing can ever be clean enough, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. I find, um, I mean, I'm currently talking to you uh, in a, a properly filthy kitchen at the minute. It's like if I turn the screen the other way, you'd see how much crap there is on my worktop. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm obviously not going to get along with her anyway. But I think there's something suspicious of people who are like, you know, you get like influencers now, like cleanliness influencers, and they just take pictures of their bedroom. And you just, and I'm like, where's all your stuff? Like, where, right? where is... Where is anything that you would need to live with? I mean, did you take this picture when you moved in or something? They always have one white cabinet in the whole room and you're like, well, hang on, what? So that's got all of your stuff that needs hanging up and stuff that needs folding. Where are your shoes? Like, where are your, uh, you know, where's your bag from today? Where's the Mm. stuff that you're currently working on? And it's, it's it's too important to be put away. It needs to be kept out so you keep working on it. Where's all of that? It's just... You've just got a cactus plant or a bonsai yeah. tree uh, and, and a record player and then white sheets. That's all that's in your house. It's very strange, mm. that, yeah. Yeah, and I, so I sort of just think anyway, I mean, she's kind of the figurehead of that movement, really, isn't she? Yeah. I think she's the sort of, the you know, the dominant matriarch who, who started that thing of just everyone being terrible. I mean, obviously, look, we're living in a time where we do need to be quite careful about germs and wash our hands a lot. So I'm not I'm not saying that's ridiculous, but, you know, there's a point about how many times a week... starting to sound very Eamon Holmes now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, of course, it's all 5G anyway, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, there's a point at which, like, it just goes beyond normal cleanliness and gets to a sort of weird level of yeah on the island she would have a go at you just for fetching water and not like she'd be like well you need to have a disinfected water bottle to do that you'd be like yeah i don't know if you've noticed kim but we're on an island um we don't have disinfectant so i'm just going to go and collect water in this big water bottle that we've got uh, and she'd still pick a fight with you about that because you didn't get it fresh or from the tap or something. It would be something that yeah. is so out of possibility, yet she'd still choose to pick a fight about it. Mm. And I can just imagine her sort of wrapping your knuckles with the ruler. Like, where do you even get that yeah. from on a plane? But she's got, like, rulers somehow. Definitely. And all three of these people, Kim Woodburn, Matt Hancock and Eamon Holmes, are definitely the type of people who, if they discovered stuff in the wreckage of the plane, like a big uh, food trolley, they would not alert it to the group. Mm, they would yeah. keep it to themselves a hundred percent yeah no i agree i think i mean it's a very um uh what's the word combustible sort of selection you've picked i think oh, i mean it, that's what i mean by actually i i I picked them last night 
and I actually like stressed myself out imagining being with those three people. One at a time was horrific enough, mm. but to be on an island with Kim Woodburn, Matt Hancock, and Eamon Holmes, I oh my lord! I should say for the listeners' benefit, you are looking quite pained as you describe each oh, of these. So people. pained, so pained. <laughs> I had to pour a wine just to sort of calm down from from researching these three people. <laughs> well, uh, now we've got a good excuse to have a glass of wine after we finish recording. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it swings and roundabouts. Okay, well, I'll distract you temporarily from these people because mercifully amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Okay, I feel like this is actually going to be controversial because okay. they're probably widely liked by most of the listeners. Mm-hmm. The food is hummus or pesto spread on bread. It's not okay. an enjoyable thing. I wish everybody could grow up and stop pretending hummus is an enjoyable food. The same goes for pesto. Oh, should we put pesto in our pasta? Should we spread it on some bread? No, no. If I see one more pit of bread with hummus or pesto, I will explode. It, pesto's disgusting. The, the texture of it is like little chopped up bits of, of grass that somehow managed to make a smell of, of sort of gone off food. Its colour in it is, is like something, again, out of a rolled doll move like adaptation of a, of a of a book in that it's green and snotty and horrific mm. and it's somehow supposed to count as like the main aspect of a meal they'll go oh pesto spread on something that's not a meal put cheese on toast put put chocolate spread on it put jam on toast put something actually enjoyable hummus well the most infuriating thing for me as you can probably tell by how much i've overreacted to this question i've done a proper kim woodburn here you've asked me a very normal question and i'm going 10 out of 10 (laughs) aggressive on it but it really annoys me is when we have beautiful weather like this obviously not in a lockdown and you and your mates go oh should we have a barbie should we have a barbecue should we go and have Mm. a picnic and you all bring great stuff you somebody brings crisps and you'll bring some beers and you'll bring um uh sort of like a, a snacks of you know the mini sausages or the mm-hmm. the mini flapjacks all of that yeah. sort of thing some biscuits and then some idiot brings carrot sticks and hummus and at yeah. that point i make a mental note of who they are so i remember not to get them a present at christmas <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those things i think i've learned to like like when you first try hummus you kind of think this isn't that fun and then over time because it's so ubiquitous you kind of get used to it but i think actually i mean there's always a more interesting dip right next to it that you could use they're also two things hummus and pesto that um they both have this in common in that the people who enjoy them wear that like some sort of personality trait (laughs) you never get people mentioning hummus flippantly you never get people going um i made pesto the other night it was all right it's always i make the best pesto i'm just (laughs) gonna let you know how good my pesto is have you watched my instagram where i do a tutorial on making pesto i don't want to see you making green slime it's not important to me hummus is like nuts made into a sno- into a smoothie. What kind of psychopath makes that? Uh, and is like, oh, that'll be a fun thing to put on bread and enjoy. Yeah, I think both things feel like something that was made by people who didn't have much else around. A hundred percent. They are they are 
staple foods of people with a very small personality. They are mm. making up for something. And if you have a personality that can only be made up by banging on about pesto or hummus, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself and maybe go to an island with Eamon Holmes, <laughs> Kim Woodburn and Matt Hancock. That's the only place you belong if you're enjoying hummus and pesto. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, you live in Brighton as well, and I lived in Brighton for about eight years. And I mean, that's a real hummus hotspot, isn't it? Oh, surrounded by it. If I walk from my house to the beach, I'm just batting away hummus, flatbread, uh, <laughs> falafel, that's all it is. Listen, I'm not one of those that's like, oh, vegans, all they eat is rubbish. No, there's some lovely options out there. Really, really good. I've come up, I've just come back from Australia where the best burger I had all month was a vegan burger. Brilliant burger. So why, why do you then choose to make life hard for yourself and enjoy all these awful, awful foods as the staple of your dinner? Mm. Yeah, there's too many beans and things. And also, I mean, one of the ingredients of hummus is tahini which is like a sort of sesame sesame seed paste i think i know people who just eat that on toast and that's not even hummus that's like a building block of hummus i mean that that to me is insane it's it's just awful it's just awful and and I, i'd love to sit here and go i don't like it it's not for me but i'm sure there's lots of sound people out there who do enjoy it i've never met one Every person I know who was brought up out of nowhere, pesto or hummus, and banged on about it, has been someone that deserves to be on this island. <laughs> and what would you wash it down with? What would be your drink choice? Right. So um, I love, I love, I love a drink, and mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm, I'm more of a beer girl myself. I love a lager. Mm -hmm. I'll have a white wine. I'll have a rosé. One thing I cannot stomach. I'll have shots. I'll have uh, spirit mixers. One thing I can't stomach is red wine. I, I can't okay. do it. And um, I hate that it's somehow got this reputation as, like, the most sophisticated drink. Like, that's mm. when you go to wineries, that's the one that they're always putting in your hand, going, if you enjoy this wine. Wineries are always in lovely hot places, right? Um, mm. And, and the, the beautiful scenery on a hot day... When I've, when I've walked around this tour on a hot day, I'd like a cold, cold chilled drink. You know, yeah. I'd want a, a nice cold white wine or I'd like a, a cool rum and coke. Something cold to enjoy in this lovely hot day. I mm. don't want a room temperature red drink that's going <laughs> to stain my teeth. It's not going to cool me down. I'm not going to feel <laughs> cool for drinking it. It's just a red a red drink that stains your lips and your and, and your teeth and they all taste the same and there's this whole um uh sort of culture around which ones go with which foods and which ones have got which aftertastes and stuff mm. but let's be honest it's a room temperature drink what other drinks do you know that are room temperature and clusters good well yeah i was speaking to someone about this recently it feels like a real cop-out like you haven't even you're right nothing is good that's at room temperature either it should be warmer or cooler but it feels really weird to just go yeah just whatever when you have a wine when you have your friends right and you get a wine out the fridge a white mm. wine and it's a proper thing to crack open champagne you pop it open it's exciting and it's chilled mm. it's cold and it's in a tall glass what red wine is always just at the side, or if if you're a bit wanky, it's it's in a in a 
wine glass what's it called a, uh, a decanter no where you just, the things that you just store wine sideways in what are they oh like a wine rack a wine rack thank you yeah. a wine rack see this is this is the uh, even them annoy me <laughs> the fact that you've you're meant to to store this room to if it's a wine shelf if it's if it's so good that it must be stored sideways why does why is it still not good enough that it gets that it's only at room temperature if something yeah. isn't good enough to, that it needs to be kept in the fridge or it needs to be kept uh, warm, then I'm not going to go out of my way to keep it sideways. Yeah, there's lots of weird things. See, I do, I mean, I generally am not a particularly fussy person when it comes to food and drink. And I do like red wine, but recently I find, I don't know if I've just been kidding myself for years, but recently I think that it all just tastes the same suddenly. Yeah. And I'm sure it didn't used to. And I wonder if it's now the veil has slipped slightly and I've kind of gone... Wait a minute, maybe this is bullshit. And the thing that's starting to really annoy me is when, like, they've suddenly they've managed to sort of persuade everyone that it's okay for the product not always to be the same. So you yeah. buy one bottle of wine, and then you try and find it again, and you go, oh, it's a different year, but that can't make too much difference, right? And it's completely different. And you think, how come every other food and drink manufacturer gets it right every time in any country in the world? And they've just gone right from the start. We're like, no, no, that's the beauty of it. And they try it. to always... sell that as a good thing, as a pro. They go, oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the beauty of it. Is that it could be but different it's every 2020. time. 2020. No, I don't want it to be different every time. I want to find one that I like and then stick with that. Imagine if you had, you know, you, you tried, oh, actually, I quite like Diet Coke. It's better than the normal Coke. Then you go and get Diet Coke next time and it tastes like vanilla Coke. No. Mm. no. It's completely unacceptable. And I want it as well on the record, just, just to say, it's not like... I'm against this whole process of distilling and all that. That, I love that. My boyfriend's mm. a cocktail bar manager. We've gone round uh, loads of distilleries and I like vodka ones. We went on a cognac one recently. Very interesting. And crucially, they all of that hard work creates that same taste for every single person that tries it. And mm. it's something that should be enjoyed with some ice in that lovely hot uh, country surroundings and, and you have it in a short glass with some ice and it's beautiful. Again, yeah. we've done the vodka one and we learn all about how it makes uh, this exceptional type of vodka that should be enjoyed either on its own, chilled with ice or mixed with certain uh, spirits or, or, or put into a cocktail to make something exceptional. Red yeah. wine, if, if the best you can do about it is say, keep it on its side and then pour it into a glass at room temperature. It's so unremarkable. I'm sorry. It's such an overrated drink and it doesn't taste nice even at the end of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like I said, I, I like it, but I just more and more I'm kind of losing my patience for it because I just, I don't, you know, if you've had a hard day and you think, oh, I'm going to get some booze. But you know what? Like, it's Friday night. I'm going to spend a bit more today and I'll buy like something really nice, but it's such a lottery. You just kind of yeah. go, well, I could be just like throwing my money away or it might be quite nice. It might just taste the same as all the others. I'm it's just getting also, fed up of it. It's also one of the only drinks that, you can tell someone has had because it affects their breath so badly. Mm. Like if somebody at a wedding comes up to you and they've been on the gin and tonics, they're just they're just they're no different in their how they're drunk to to if they've had a white wine. Nobody mm. comes up to you with gin and tonic breath and you're like, oh Jesus. Somebody comes up to you after too much red wine, they you mm. can smell it a mile off and they've got a tongue that looks like a horse's tongue when it's all black. It's <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, it's so drying as well, isn't it? Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. And should a drink be drying? That's the question you have to ask yourself. 
That's the, yeah. that's the que- question you've got. Should a drink be drying? You are on a desert island. <laughs> Here's a drink that will make you more thirsty than you were before you wanted the drink. Yeah. It's full of contradictions. It's always made the same, but it's always tasting different. It's wet, but it makes your mouth dry. It's, uh, yeah. It's absolute rubbish. Yeah, well, you've definitely uh, hammered in a couple more nails into my <laughs> coffin of my wine enjoyment, and uh, and I think that's fine. Um, now, uh, Maisie, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? OK, so the film is one that my boyfriend showed me recently, um we've been doing this thing in lockdown where it's his choice one night my choice the next okay. and some films that he's seen that i haven't some films that i've seen that he hasn't and he put this film on and there's been films that he's put on that i think yeah they're really good some i think not for me he put this film on and it was the only one where within t- sort of half an hour i was like i actually can't watch any of this anymore it's so <laughs> dull it's so dull and I feel like the moment I say it, it's going to cause a lot of uproar because I think I am in the minority with this because I read up on it afterwards and it was nominated for Best Picture um, and amongst a lot of other Oscar uh, things. It's got um, a strong cast but and it's meant to be something that keeps you on the edge of your seat from beginning to end. All of the reviews are like, it is just adrenaline from the word get-go. Uh, the film is Mad Max Fury Road. Right, OK, yeah. Now, this film is essentially about one long car journey. Um, <laughs> but the car journey is, a, is, is loud from the get-go, uh, so therefore you never actually are, are, are sort of drawn in. It's just, you know, like if somebody comes into a room shouting at you and then shouts at you, uh, for the for another like 10 minutes that <laughs> shouting is a lot less effective by like minute seven than it would have been if they'd have come in asked you stuff and then warmed up to it and by the mm. end they were absolutely furious there's no crescendo because it comes in at that level um i also think one of the worst styles ever to curse this planet this godforsaken planet we've had some awful looks uh, in, in in the whole of human history yeah. and existence. But I think one of the worst one is steampunk. I don't get it. <laughs> it's just awful. Um, it's a dialogue. And this is predominantly the outfits in um, Mad Max. A, a, an ulterior... It's, it's meant to be in the future, but, like, there's nothing really that suggests that. Like, it's meant yeah. to be the future, but it it's it would just be easier to go, no, this isn't the future, this is a different reality. Let, let's yeah. let's call this what it is. This is a fantasy. This is, like, Lord of the Rings all over again. It's silly. It's mm. non-existent. Um, it's just... I I said to my boyfriend, because I did come back, I felt bad because it's the first one that I've given up on and I could tell it was a film he really liked so the next night I said look let's give it another go and I watched the whole thing hoping every single minute that went by this is where it'll change this is where something interesting will actually happen and it didn't um and I said my main problem with it is that it sort of seems the creation of a of a mid-puberty hormone-filled teenage boy in Mm. that um they are so full of 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 sex driven hormones uh and and cars and loud things 
uh, that they've just sort of spunked out this film. Uh, and they go, uh, it's sort of a, an impulsive answer to all of the questions of who's the leading man? Um, Tom Hardy, because he's hard and he's attractive and he's everything I want to be. <laughs> and then, OK, well, um, what about um, a leading lady? Uh, OK, Charlize Theron, who's amazing, by the way, an incredible actress, but in this has maybe 10 lines and is an incredibly 2D character. Um and then she she clears off. The only other characters are a selection of models uh, who are not known for acting. They're known for modelling and dating Jason Statham. But it's, <laughs> it's just awful. The whole film is orange. There's no other colours. It's just orange, orange, orange. It's just like watching a fake tan of prepubescent spunk-filled dreams. It's really strange. Um, there's, no, there's no arc to it. It's just... It's just loud, 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 orange, 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 hot women. Mm. In a, that's the other thing. Their first scene is just all of these models in um, tight white T-shirts that are drenched from the sweat of the orange uh, landscape that they find themselves in. It's dire. <laughs> and this whole journey just keeps going on and on and on and on. You think, OK, well, what happens when they get there? I couldn't even tell you what happens at the end because it was so underwhelming and boring. Um I, it was just an infuriating experience watching that film. As you can probably tell, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to it now. It's awful. And and I, I'm clearly in the minority because I was so in shock afterwards. I thought that was terrible. And I looked up and my boyfriend was going, it's not, it's not, it's brilliant, it's really good. I thought, right, I'm going to look up the film. And I was looking through its Wikipedia to find those... Uh, you know those awful reviews to get to the reception bit of the wikipedia where it goes it was panned you know by critics so it's slammed by it saying it was awful it was like 98 percent on rotten tomatoes it was nominated for these oscars it was um apparently all the effects are all actually real they you know they're not special effects they're real stunts mm. oh good for you you flipped a car and it was real amazing <laughs> It's so demoralising, isn't it, when you hated a film and then you look for people to to sort of hate it with or you look for some validation of your opinion and there's nothing and you're like, how, I don't, what? And you, you just feel so lonely. Yeah. You're like, how am I in the minority that this is, this is my opinion? We've only had it once previously with, with a film and it was um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right. which I had right. never seen. And Mike was like, it's really good. And each film is three hours. So that's yeah. nine hours. And there's pretty much no women in it. Like, I'd mm. say of those nine hours, there's maybe 20 minutes of a, of a woman on screen. Uh, the, all of the blokes' characters are... Like, I wasn't rooting for anybody in there. Um, I didn't believe any of the sort of... I know it's fantasy, but I didn't believe it. But ultimately, my issue with it is that the plot line is that across nine hours of film, across three big stories, it is essentially a group of men slowly binning a ring. <laughs> that is yeah. the, the premise of it. And with Mad Max, it is essentially one long testosterone fueled car journey, which for me is something that absolutely needs to be on a desert island away from it. Like that is my worst nightmare, is to be on a film that is a testosterone fueled car journey yeah it does it does feel like i mean i watched it on a plane so i mean all my opinions of the film are kind of slightly moot because god knows what happens to your brain when you watch films on a plane and i was just happy to be going on holiday but um 
it sort of feels like it was a load of guys after um burning man festival came together and sketched Literally. it out like their dream it was sort of like after a particularly heavy burning man they sketched that film oh, out hit and that, the nail on that, the head there you know and that sort of leaves a bad taste you know even though i remember enjoying it there is that whiff of like yeah i don't know it's a bit you know there are people that dress like that in real life now absolutely Absolutely. It's done no good for society, has that film. <laughs> only bad. It's only caused damage. Well, you've argued it so eloquently. I'm not left with that much to come back at it with, <laughs> but um, you've certainly given me pause for thought. And uh, what would your song choice be? Uh, so the song is Give Me Everything by Pitbull featuring Neo. Uh, <laughs> this song is about 10 years old now. Mm -hmm. And it came out at what was the peak for uh, Pitbull, also known as Mr. Worldwide. Um, he was sort of in this, I don't know if you remember, but he was in this sort of um, three-year stint of just whacking out any old song, and it would be massive. Um, mm. And it was at the time of when I was like first going out all the time. And so it was in every club, in every bar, everyone was playing it on the radio. Mr. P like Pitbull was everywhere. He was Mr. Worldwide, uh, as was Neo. The reason this song, though, for me, has such awful connotations is, first of all, it's not a great song. In his first... Bearing in mind, this bloke is a professional rapper. His one job is to rap. His opening line um, rhymes Kodak with Kodak, uh, which <laughs> I, I think is, is, is poor form for somebody whose one job is to write rap. Um, yeah. You know, this is a collaboration between a rapper, Pitbull, and a singer, Neo. Neo turned up, sings the chorus, sings it quite well, goes home. He's done his job. Pitbull rhymes Kodak with Kodak. <laughs> um, it's, and, and, and I wish then I could go, all right, well, that's forgivable because the rest of the rapping is so good. It's terrible. But the mm. reason it's particularly bad for me is around the time that this song was massive... Uh, I went on a date with a boy I met at a party and he was, I think I was 16, 17 and he was 18 or 19. Um, so I was sort of like still in sixth form. He was like, um, it was at a party of uh, people who were in the year above. So mm -hmm. he, he seemed really cool. Like, And he uh, asked if he could take me out the next week. So he turned up and he got his own car and everything. And we drove to... Uh, like the car park in the town where I live. And in that next to that car park, there is a cinema. And I knew that we were going to the cinema, but um, we parked up and then he went past that cinema and to the train station. And I was like, oh, where are we going? And he was like, we're going to the cinema. I was like, right. And because I like, I was still quite early on in my mm. dating time by then, I just didn't question. I was like, okay, maybe we're doing something before then. Then we got on the train to Leeds city centre and we get, we went all the way to Leeds to go to the view, and then we came back to my hometown and walked back to this car park. At which point I said, "Did you know that that's a cinema there?" And he just didn't know that there was a cinema right next to where he'd parked. Um, <laughs> so he had parked in um, this smaller town to get commuting into a into a, <laughs> into a big city, and then come back. But on that train journey into Leeds. He asked if I had any tattoos and obviously I was 16, 17 at this point. I said, no, I, I, I don't. Um, and of course, people only tend to ask that question if they're um, dying, chomping at the bit to show yeah. you their tattoo. 
So, of course, I came back with, um, no, do, do, do you? And he sort of, his eyes lit up and he said, yeah, I do, actually. Um, and he started unbuttoning his shirt mm. and he pulled down and right across his pectoral, over to his other one, right across his chest, was, um, we might not get tomorrow, so let's do it tonight. Oh. Which is a lyric from said song, <sighs> Give Me Everything, by Pitbull and Neo. We might not get tomorrow, so let's do it tonight. And I recognised mm. it straight away because that song was everywhere at the moment. I said, is that, is, that the, um, is that the Pitbull song? And he nodded so, like, gleefully. He was like, yeah, yeah, it is, actually. Oh, yeah. no. I said, oh, uh, cool. Like, what, what sort of in- inspired you to get that then? He was like, I just think they're words to live by. I just think we never know if we're going to get tomorrow. I was like, well... I think there's a lot more profound... I didn't obviously say this at the time, <laughs> but there is a lot more profound sayings out there that have the same sentiment mm. that aren't a Pitbull lyric. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm not saying that you should all go out and get Carpe Diem tattooed on you, which is, of course, the same mm. sentiment and an incredibly overused tattoo. But do you need a Pitbull lyric across your chest to remind you to appreciate things in the moment? That's all I'm saying. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, oh man, a Pitbull lyric tattooed. And also, it does feel like on a first date, showing that quote, it's a bit more like trying to plant seeds, isn't it? Saying, let's just have sex tonight. That was Come it. On. That, I mean, this is my mantra. It's not about life. It's not carpe diem. It's like, let's, let's just have sex. It's fine. Yeah, I don't, think that, so. I don't think that lyric across his chest was referring to like, let's just um, be appreciative of what we have right now. And let's really be thankful for what we have because we don't know if we're going to get it. You know, we don't know if we're going to get tomorrow. The The sentiment of that tattoo was, um, I don't know if I'm going to get another date, so can we have sex tonight, please? <laughs> also, the the idea of a man with a tattoo talking about appreciating the here and now and what's around you, not realising he's parked next to a cinema before he gets on a train to go to a cinema. Literally. <laughs> I mean, I think like any tattoos with quotes is sort of a bit dangerous because you never know how they're going to date or, you know, it, they feel sort of more risky than just a picture or something. They really do. But when you're getting song lyrics especially, but then to someone like Pitbull, who's he's never going to be around a long time. That's the thing. It's like some people have song lyrics of... Of um of songs that are quite deep, you know they'll yeah. they'll, they'll they'll be a song that is is notably quite a deep song, or um it's a song that you know is quite personal to them, uh, uh because of a certain situation they've gone mm. through, um or as you say it's by a, a a band or an artist that has stood the test of time, um, yeah. But Pitbull, who I'm not even sure at his peak was actually cool. I think. I think back to when I'm pretty sure even when he was at his peak, we were we were dancing along to it in a club, but we were going bloody hell, pitbull, rhyming Kodak with Kodak, what a weirdo. We were all at least yeah. aware that it was not. It's like Aqua or Barbie Girl, you know. Mm. You, we were all aware at the time that it was ridiculous. We enjoyed it, but we knew it was ridiculous, and it would have been ridiculous to have got Aqua's lyrics come on Barbie yeah. let's go party on our on our bodies that would have been <laughs> ludicrous Dude, uh, I think it was Limmy did a takedown of Pitbull and I, obviously I'm not going to do it as well as Limmy but he was sort of saying he was like I, none of it makes sense because he always used to wear a suit as well didn't he quite a lot yes so he's standing there looking like some kind of weird manager again like a manager of a Sainsbury's or something wearing a suit he's not very good at rapping he's not good looking no so, 
like how and i know look you know obviously the industry yeah and a bit too old and the industry shouldn't be about sort of pretty young things all the time no but but you know there's got to be have an element of cool to it it should be something to aspire to yeah, like, I'm not good-looking, but I don't care, because look what I can do. But if you're sort of shit at everything... I mean, I think you need, like, one out of five traits, you know. Pitbull is to rapping what Eamon Holmes is to, to presenting. You're, yeah. you're you're shocked he's got as much as he has. But it just feels like one day we're going to find out that his brother is the head of Sony Records or something. Yes, like, definitely. there has to be an in somewhere. Like, definitely. he didn't just get it on merit. And, like, at least with 50 Cent, who I thought was shit when he was out, at least he had a gimmick of having been shot a lot. So you're yes. like, okay, well, you're, you know, you're real because you've been shot multiple times. You're a shit rapper, but it doesn't matter. You've got that thing. Whereas, like, Pitbull. And he dressed the part. He looked like a rapper. He'd walk into the, to, 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 to a radio station to do an interview and you go, that's a big rapper that's coming in there. You know, he yeah. had the chains on and the the, the, the the snapbacks and he had an entourage, maybe a grill. Pitbull, as you say, turns up like he's turned up to the wrong wedding. Yeah, and I was going to say that he sort of has that vibe of... Do you ever watch First Dates? Yeah. And sometimes someone walks in and they're just, you know, there's a woman's arrived already, she's just looking really nice, you know, dressed to go out. And then a guy turns up and he hasn't kind of got it right and he's just worn what he last wore to a wedding. It's that same thing of kind of... It's like that's not what you go on. You don't need a waistcoat and a tie, mate. Yeah. What's is he's that got sort a staple of... like smart occasion suit that he uses for weddings, job interviews, dates. Yeah, yeah, the big three. Yeah, the big three, and he's as he's as successful at, at each one of those ones. <laughs> okay, well, very good case made for that as well. Uh, now, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Um, okay, a very specific reason for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the baboon. Right. Now, um, this this story takes me back to about 15 years ago. So I was about 10 or 11 years old. And... Uh, my grandpa, bless him, was on a cruise with my granny uh, somewhere, I think, out in the Pacific, and he had a heart attack. So uh, they um, helicoptered him to the nearest land port, which was uh, Cape Town in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the sort of verdict was he's on his, you know, it, it's not good. Uh, and the, they advised the family to come out as soon as possible if we could. Um, I should say from the off-goat that by the end it all turned out fine and he went on to live another like 15 years. Okay. Um, he's, uh, it was absolutely fine. But we all flew out to Cape Town, the whole family, um, and we're a big family so there's a lot of us out there um, because Grandpa was, was not in good shape. Mm. So we went out to Cape Town and um, actually the, I think we booked to be there for about a week or two, something like that. And within sort of four or five days, Grandpa was actually able to be out of hospital um, and uh, was able to be in a little bit like in a wheelchair and stuff and Mm -hmm. was able to go around. So we were like, okay, well, let's book some things to do. And we booked to go to this place called the Cape of Good Hope, which is like the most southern part of South Africa, right at the bottom of Cape Town. Mm -hmm. And I remember we went in this minibus and the guide said, whatever you do, don't get any food because the baboons here are rife and they will go straight for your food. So no no food, please. Um, leave it in the minibus and don't go to the cafe or anything like that. 
and we got out and it was a beautiful like viewpoint of all of the sea and the the, the haven of this and quite steep rocks heading down and you could see the baboons sort of running around like that and there was there was um uh like park people there um guards i guess um but just checking that they didn't come up too close and all of this uh and we were just sort of walking around and my mum bless her she goes to me um do you want some do you want something to eat Maisie? i said oh, i'm pr- but the man in the bus mum said that said that we shouldn't she said yeah, it'll be okay don't worry what do you want some some crisps i said okay then yeah uh, salt and vinegar crisps please so we went to this cafe my mum got some ready salted crisps and I got and she got me some salt and vinegar ones and we're walking back to the minibus where my grandpa is is sat in the seat um with like his head sort of drip I think he's fallen asleep like mm. he's not in tra- bless him he's had a heart attack and yeah. been airlifted <laughs> to land and this is his like first day out he's not interested in looking around uh, the Cape of Good Hope but all of us lot have been uh, walking around we're walking back to the minibus and I just feel something like touch touch my back, like sort of hit me, hit me on the back. Mm. And I turn around and it is a baboon jumping <laughs> up to try and get my, my crisps. Wow. I'm obviously screaming. My mum turns around and it screams even louder. And at this point, we both run for the for the van, absolutely sprinting, batting away with our crisps as we run like this <laughs> at any baboon who runs near us. My mum runs into the van right next to my grandpa and slides the door shut and I'm following behind and I, I arrived to the van with a shut door. And at this <laughs> point, the baboons catch up with me and are all over. I'm trying to bat them away with only a packet of salt and vinegar crisps. The guards <laughs> are shouting at me and they're shouting at me to do something. And eventually I realise that they're saying, let go of the crisp, let go of the crisp. I fling the crisps, the baboons run off into there. I, at this point, I'm just bursting into tears. I'm so traumatised. I've been attacked by, a, 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 I don't know what it is, a herd, a school. Maybe a, a troop. A troop, a parliament of, of baboons. <laughs> I don't know. But I was attacked by a big group of baboons all over trying to get this, this packet of crisps. My own mother slammed door the shut, shut, <laughs> shut door. My grandpa, he can't do anything. He's drooped head. He's recovering from a cardiac arrest. I can't blame him. Uh, it was the most traumatic event of my childhood and I regale in telling that story to my mum every single time <laughs> and she sits there with her head in her hands, um, bless her. She, I mean, I, I think it's fight or flight in that situation <laughs> and my mum chose f- my mum chose fight but only on behalf of her. Um, well, well, I mean, if only you'd had some lovely hummus to dip those crisps into, uh, perhaps the baboons wouldn't have been as keen. please. Um, but it is definitely with one of those things now of like, if I go round a, a zoo or a sanctuary and I see the baboons, I couldn't be less interested. I, I can't mm. stand them. I've, I've definitely held that grudge. But I think that monkeys are any sort of ape or monkey is quite a terrifying prospect. I mean, they're fascinating, but in real life, when you're close to them, because they've got the sort of, you know, the tenacity and lack of morals of a of an animal. Mm-hmm. But they've also got the sort of that dodgy, conniving nature of a human. That's you know, the thing so... is, they're, they're the nearest thing to us. So they've got all of the similarities to work us out, but mm. they are way more highly skilled in every single way than the human. They are faster mm. than us, more aggressive than us, better fighters. Like, we will lose every time against yeah. them. 
um but they've they've worked us out to a t mm. so it's um yeah they're terrifying and um also quite just quite crazy faces haven't they oh oh and so scary so scary mm. just like they sort of look threatening don't they they look really threatening the fact that they've just got their ass on show and so proudly is yeah, quite a, an intimidating aspect of them mm. you know they they they're like proudly showing off an area that we are embarrassed about and cover up mm. um it's it's very they're intimidating like mentally as well as physically i feel like yeah they know what's going on I think. yeah do you know what i mean they they've mm. got us they've got us down and on the island you don't know if Eamon's stolen your food or the baboons he's always blaming the baboons but you never know which one it is exactly and... exactly yeah. yeah they make a mess and that gets kim woodburn angry um, yeah. Matt Hancock says he's going to do something about it, but just blames it on the other islanders, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I think you've done a great job picking a really inhospitable environment for yourself to live on. Thank you. Ah. It literally does give me anxiety just thinking about this situation. <laughs> the level of thought and detail you've put into this as well is is very appreciated. I mean, it's uh, you've really painted a picture for us. And it's not a picture that any of us want up in our houses. No. But uh, it's a masterpiece of some kind. Oh. <laughs> Um, now, Maisie, obviously we're sort of still deep into lockdown as we're recording. So uh, where can people hear or see more of you? Uh, they can see me, I think, if we're in a park and we're two metres apart. But it has to be with people from your household, I think. Um, there's no there's no way of seeing me gig at the moment because yeah. um, my job is illegal at the mm. moment. Um, but I am on Twitter and Instagram as Maisie Adam. And I also have a podcast uh, with Tom Lucy called That's a First, where we talk about, um, we, we have guests on and they talk about their first times of various experiences of embarrassing ones right up to the career ones. So um, that's that's out. Um, Good. I think that's the only thing I have to advertise <laughs> at the moment. I've got no work. Um, yeah, oh, and I have a special on, on, on Next Up Comedy. It's my first Edinburgh show. If you'd like to watch that, that'd be great. Right. Lovely. Brilliant. Well, Maisie, thank you very much for talking to us today and sharing your Desert Island dicks. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Take care. Bye.